What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Everybody. Welcome to episode 56 of our podcast. I'm Bill Left. That's Wendy Snyder. Those are the basics. Once you know that, the rest just falls into place. Hello, Wendy. Well, hi, Bill. How are you? I'm good. You teased me with something <laughs> just before airtime, and I don't know what to make of it. All right. Well, first of all, uh, I can't remember um, the context of why you mentioned Olivia de Havilland. Uh... I All right, I'll tell you the background on it. Now, keep in mind, I'm coming off of pronouncing John Barber, one of the hosts of What's Happening. Or, uh, no, what? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> he was the host of What's Happening <laughs> with Raj. The two of them, now he's going to call back. John oh Barber God. was not on What's Happening. John Barber was on a show called Real People. A couple of weeks ago, I pronounced him dead. He was very upset to learn this news because he's not dead. He was very upset about that. So we had him on the show. Uh, the other day, or, or was it a week ago? It must have been a week ago. Uh, you said something, and I said, it's, yeah, it's like my girlfriend, Olivia de Havilland, who just passed away. Now, now I find out that she is also not dead. She's 104. Exactly, and she's on the phone with us. <laughs> is she on the phone with us? Yes, but here's the thing. I don't really know what to say to her, so hang on. Let me – I got to hit some buttons here. And then – you, How'd you get Olivia de Havilland? Uh, this is going to be short and sweet. We're, we're given a minute. It should be. Yeah, hang on. I got to – let me – I got to get – That's all the time we get with Olivia de Havilland? Yeah, they, she's 104, Bill. All right, all right hang on. Um, let me hit this button and then you, you need to take it. Okay. So ready? Where is she? Is she in New York or Los Angeles? She is in uh, an assisted living center wearing a mask and she is in New York. So when I hit this button, you just take it. Okay. All right. Ready? All right. right. Three, two, go. On the line with us right now, the great Olivia de Havilland. Olivia, how are you? What? Olivia de Havilland? Huh? Who is this? I can't breathe in this mask. It's Bill and Wendy from the Bill and Wendy show. Huh? A very pop... Bill Bill Leff and Wendy Snyder. I'm sorry. That's all the time you have this afternoon. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you so much for letting us call. All right. I would have booked her, really, Bill, but uh, she's 104. (laughs) But Scott Paul uh, reached out to us on Facebook and said, Hi, Bill, your girlfriend, Olivia de Havilland, is still alive. And I said, well, now we have to get her on the show if Bill hasn't killed her yet. So please, everyone, stay tuned to the news because ODH will be going away soon. I've had several uh, people contact me to let me know that she's very vivacious, very much alive. I doubt vivacious. She's 104. Well, that's the thing is you never know when to get up past 102 and 103. It gets a little dicey sometimes. But uh, I am a huge fan of her work. 
of her stick to I like anybody that makes it to 104. Yes. Uh, greatest role always will be uh, Maid Marian from Robin Hood. Always. Oh, yeah. And I think I brought this up to you the other day. I think um, she's the sister of somebody famous. I know there was a sisterly feud that lasted for decades and decades, but I'm not positive who her sister is or was. Oh, yes, I want to say Joan Fontaine. Is it Joan Fontaine? I think so, yeah. It's a definitely a, um, a super celebrity. I think it's Joan Fontaine, who, of course, Wendy, you would know from Dark Shadows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Joan She's Fontaine. Her- That's her sister. Yeah. And there's a yeah, feud, of course. Why did the, why were uh, why were the De Havilands and the Fontaines fighting? Do we know? I love this joke. Um, <laughs> here's what I have from. Wiki- Can you get Joan Fontaine on the line? Can we talk to her? Oh God, is she alive? <laughs> no. Okay. Are She's you no sure? She's no longer with us. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost. Well, hold on. I'll speed dial John Barber and see what he knows. Uh, the sisters' rivalry played out in front of the world at the Academy Award ceremony in 1942. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, God. Was that a crazy night? They were born 15 months apart. Douglas Fairbanks and I were fighting <laughs> over a Shirley Temple, and I don't mean the drink. <laughs> 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 oh my god. Um all right, so they uh were born 15 months apart. Joan was younger. Both found success yeah. as actresses in Hollywood's golden age, but instead of bringing them together, Bill, these similarities exacerbated a rivalry that sprang up in childhood and lasted a lifetime. Yet even though they were rivals who became estranged, Olivia and Joan managed to respect and even admire one another. In a feud, you always care what the other is up to, of course. Yes. Uh, They didn't get along as children. Um, Olivia once said our biggest problem was that we had to share a room. Who hasn't shared a room with someone? (laughs) Right. But at some point, you let it go, especially if you achieve the stardom that those two did. You just go, well, well, you know, when we were kids, we had bunk beds. We'll, We'll move on. (laughs) <laughs> was it a fight over who got the top <laughs> yes yes All Olivia right. de Havilland was always like oh someday I'm going to be made Marion and then Joan Fontaine was like well, I'm going to be on Dark Shadows and then it got crazy from there well it makes sense that Joan would have been on Dark Shadows because at the age of nine Joan decided she would kill her sister Oh, my God. She thought it all out carefully. She would let Olivia hit her once and then again in silence. But after the third blow, she would plug Olivia between the eyes. Oh, wow. At nine. I'm starting to side with uh, Olivia de Havilland. Oh, that's the better choice, I believe. (laughs) Of the two, I think that's your better option. As a child, Wendy, I knew that there was a feud between them. And any time the movie Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was on... I imagine that that's what their 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 relationship was like. I bet you're right. You know, very similar. Wait, but you, without Victor Buono. <laughs> Damn, you need a Victor Buono. Um, I, there's more. This is according to Life magazine. So after the third blow, she would plug Olivia between the eyes. Joan's plan was to plead self-defense, but fortunately for American cinema, she didn't go through with it. This was at the age of nine. Yes. She was plotting her sister's death. Yes. Oh. That's that almost seems unhealthy to me. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm no I'm no child psychologist, but I would say that that's problematic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you'd be good. I'll give you a degree. 
Um, (laughs) Joan initially lived in Olivia's shadow in Hollywood. Um, Joan came to live with Olivia and their mother. Um, And then what else? Uh, Oh, the name change. Um, From de Havilland to Fontaine? Yeah. uh, So... Olivia, who was under contract to Warner Brothers, didn't want Joan to work at the same studio as her, and as she believed there was room for only one de Havilland in Hollywood, she encouraged her sister to use a different last name. Well, Joan didn't like this, of course, because she she was going to probably try and kill her again. But (laughs) Every nine years. (laughs) All right, I missed my chance at nine, but 18's coming around the bend. This actually is not funny. It's sad. Um, No, it's horrible. So Joan didn't like that she'd have to change her name, so a fortune teller advised her that she needed a stage name ending in an E to achieve success. (laughs) So she began using Fontaine, her stepfather's name. Oh. Oh. Um... Where was the damn Academy Awards story? Oh, here it goes. Uh, so in 1942, when you were there with Douglas Fairbanks and Shirley Temple, yeah. uh, Olivia and Joan were both nominated for Best Actress. Olivia for Hold Back the Dawn and Joan for Suspicion. Ooh. Olivia was expected to win, but Joan received the Oscar instead. She then seemed to ignore her sister's congratulations when she went to collect her statuette. So, you know that moment in the speech where they always thank the the people who didn't win and they say things like, you know, this I'm winning the Oscar, but really this belongs to all five of us and stuff. Did Joan just leave her sister out of that speech? Did she thank the other actresses? One of which was Meryl Streep, who hadn't even been born yet. But people already <laughs> Hollywood was already feeling the greatness of Meryl Streep. I can't believe I beat Meryl Streep, who hasn't been born yet. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, that, I don't know, but, uh, you know, she left her hanging. You know, they uh, she didn't, like, congratulate her or shake her uh, hand. That's so terrible. And then in an interview for her 100th birthday, which was not better than the interview we had today for her 104th, <laughs> and she just turned 104 on July 1st. Yeah, so. and she used to be the morning DJ at FM 104. Did you remember that? No, no. Yeah, she got let go. <laughs> Olivia in De Havilland. <laughs> right, right. Um, and the morning zoo crew. Yes. Uh, in an interview for her 100th birthday in 2016, Olivia addressed her relationship with Joan saying, quote, A feud implies continuing hostile conduct between two parties. I cannot think, I cannot think of a single instance wherein I... In- initiated hostile behavior. She also said uh, she had sometimes been defensive, and then she went on to say, on my part, it was always loving, but sometimes estranged, and in the later years, severed. That's sad. That's so sad. Because they both got what they wanted. They both became household names, uh, well-respected actresses in Hollywood. They were always working you would think at some point they would just put things away and say, well, we both, uh, we've both done pretty well for ourselves. Let's enjoy this. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Does it say what happened when Joan Fontaine died? Was there any, uh, like Olivia Havilland, remorse? Did she, did she come to the service? Uh, I don't have Did that she join the service? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Did she go? Did she go to fight overseas with the boys? What happened? <laughs> Here's the only information on on the on these girls that I have. Um, at an Oscars reunion in 1979, the two were placed on separate ends of the stage. 
10 years later, so 89, uh, Joan changed hotel rooms when she found out she was booked next to Olivia's. <laughs> wow. But contrary to what Joan had expected, Olivia expressed her sadness after her sister's death in 2013. Oh, she, okay. Well, that's better. But no word on whether or not she attended the services. Can we send a copy of this to the Jonas Brothers so that they know that if they're ever mad at each other, they can't (laughs) let it go on for decades? Because look what it becomes. I'll get it out to them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I... And I'm only bringing this up because we've we've mentioned Joan Fontaine several times. Do you know who Frank Fontaine is? Yes, but why? Frank Fontaine was an actor, probably hit his stride in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, best known as kind of a comic foil on the Jackie Gleason variety show. He played a character named Crazy Guggenheim. Oh, yeah. All right, you've heard of him? Yeah. All right, so one year... Uh, I've, I've mentioned this before on the show. My family would go to Florida every summer in August for two weeks and we would switch off. One year we would fly, the next year we would drive. And we did that forever when I was a kid. So one of the years that we were driving, we stopped off somewhere to have lunch, somewhere in Georgia. I don't remember where, but at the hotel, they had a dinner theater in their hotel and they touted on the, on the attraction board out in front of the hotel that they were doing some play that I had never heard of, and it starred Frank Fontaine. And I was just a kid. I had heard the name, but I wasn't sure who he was. So we went inside. We go and we're having lunch, and at the table next to us is Frank Fontaine. He's just sitting by himself, and I thought it was both cool that somebody of some renown was sitting so close to us, but sad that he was just by himself because my parents were telling me they used to watch him on TV all the time, and I go, do you want to go meet him and say hello? No, it looks like he wants to be left alone. But it, it looked like just the opposite. He wanted so badly for, to have some companionship and nobody was stop- – I mean the whole time we were there, he was by himself the whole time. Nobody bothered him. Doesn't sound too crazy, does he? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And I have to admit, like I had heard the name but I didn't know what he was famous for. As soon as my parents both at the same time said, he played Crazy Guggenheim, that's all I needed to know because I couldn't stop laughing that that was somebody's name on TV, you know? And I've, I've since gone back and watched the clips, and he, would, he, he was playing a guy that was kind of – I know you'll understand when I say this. He was kind of a dipsy doodle. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> – he would do this guy, Crazy Guggenheim, and he'd go, what's going on, Joe? What's happening, Joe? And, you know, it was like a really funny voice and face and stuff. And, like, it was so hysterical to me that that guy was sitting next to us at some dinner playhouse restaurant. But that nobody, it was just sad nobody was talking to him. Now, he wasn't in the performance, was he? He starred in it, yeah. So, And he's just sitting there among the masses. And did you stay and watch the show? No, the show was at night, and we oh. were there around lunchtime. But, it, you know, w- when when you get a job like that, you work those two hours, you do the play every night, but then the rest of the day is pretty much your own to hang out at the pool or do whatever you want. But he just sat in this restaurant kind of looking around like, oh, somebody's got to notice me. I'm Crazy Guggenheim. <laughs> but nobody did. <laughs> Poor Crazy. Can I, can I tell you? I know. I wrote that on a napkin for the for the waitress to see. <laughs> Go talk to Crazy. He needs friends. <laughs> Hello, Joe. Nobody will talk to me. 
Um, <laughs> the only other time that ever happened was, you know, the actor who was in Breakfast Club, who's really mean to the kids. His name is Paul something. He, I know for a fact, is gone. So he will not be calling us next week. I, I don't think. <laughs> he's he's a very he's a thin, very much in shape guy. Um, it's Paul something. He he always played kind of the same guy. Paul Gleason. Guy who, Paul Gleason. So you know how he oh, always. Oh, I know who he is. He yeah. stuck to the rules, and if you didn't stick to the rules, he was no friend of yours. That kind of attitude. Yeah. All right. So Terry and I were in Las Vegas. And he was at a table near us, just sitting all by himself. And I said to Terry, because I know he's done a bunch of work in Chicago, and I know some of the people he's worked with, I'm just going to go say hello. And she goes, no, don't bother. Look at him. He just You don't want to bother him. He's having – and he, he just sat by himself, and he looked so miserable. And then finally a guy came in and sat across from him, and the two of them were having such a weird argument about something – and then Terry goes, aren't you glad you didn't bother him? And I go, I hope he knows that guy because they've been yelling at each other since he walked in. <laughs> he was on All My Children. Was he on All My Children? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Who did he play? Uh, let me find out. He was also – Crazy Guggenheim's brother, Eddie. <laughs> Eddie Guggenheim. Hello, Eddie. Hello, crazy. You're a dipsy doodle too. <laughs> <laughs> the Guggenheims didn't hold a grudge like the de Havilland's and the Fontaine's. <laughs> That's because they were <laughs> they crazy. They were much more. They were crazy. You got to be crazy. Hang on, Paul Gleason. Uh, yeah, because when I he was a doctor, surprisingly. Um, I don't remember him on All My Children. And he was. Uh, I do. Um, oh God, what was his name? I'm really trying to use my brain, but sometimes it doesn't happen. Uh, so I have to go to the um, IMDb. Yeah. Internet Movie Data Bill. That's what I like to call yes. it. Yes. Well, thank you for that. All right. Thank you for the plug. Hang on. They don't make it very easy. Uh, but didn't he kind of, no, no disrespect to the acting of Paul Gleason, but he kind of always played a guy who wanted things to go the right way. And if they didn't, you were in for some trouble. It was always like that kind of attitude. Yeah. I mean, it says he was primarily known for principals and teachers. That's most of the yes. roles. He died in 2006 at the age of uh, 67. Why can't I find... I got all the trivia on him, all filmography. There we go. Just uh, what we would know him from? Yeah, actor. He was in Drake and Josh, Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. Dawson's Creek, Dragnet. Uh, Those are all just uh, one-offs. Though. Right, right, right. Just right. guest starring roles. Uh, hang on. Uh, he was on an episode of Friends. God. Melrose Place. Jeez, wow. he worked a lot. Yeah. Walker, Texas Ranger. He was on news radio. Look at all the things I could have discussed with him, but then he would have been surly. That's too bad. Wait, I'm getting yeah. to it. When was All My Children? What year? Oh, the, it was on for 30 years, over 30 years, I think. Um, I can't find it. Has that been off for 10 years already? Has All My Children been out of circulation for 10 years? I'm not really sure when soap... Like, you're the one who told me that there are still some soap... Like, is General Hospital still going on? Yes. Really? And Young and the Restless is still on, and there's t I think there's a total of three or four right now. My Google Ryan's Hope. That's not still on. All right. Um, my Googling is really getting bad during this pandemic. <laughs> 
They say that that's the first thing to go is to Google. <laughs> the, your ability to Google is the number one thing that goes quickly. Can we talk about your bug situation, by the way? Yes, but I'm getting close to it. Hang on here. Uh, he was on all my children. God bless America. I, I, I got to know. A, that's a very gr- good way of saying I'm about to swear and then taking a left-hand turn at the last second. Well played. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, my bug guy Gary came out yesterday, and um, I told him that a friend wanted to keep the hornet's nest. I had a big hornet's nest in the side of the tree. They are bald-headed hornets. That's what they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very aggressive. And Is it bug pattern baldness, Wendy? Can you <laughs> determine that or not? Is it too hard to say? Because some of these bugs, you know, just to look more hip, they will shave their heads. <laughs> this is killing me. I have to know who he played. I can't. Like, On all my children? Yeah, I can't. I, why can't I Google that? Uh, you can't. I, why couldn't you? I think you can. Oh, David Thornton. I totally remember that. Oh, I do remember that guy. See? Yeah. Dr. Thornton, paging Dr. Thornton. Yeah. That was Paul Gleason. Yes. Probably before he hit the big time. Yeah. He was pretty good. Yeah. Um, All right. So I had a hornet's nest. Sorry, I'm all over the place today. And um, my bug guy, Gary, we we have him come out regularly because I don't know why people think the Snyder Mac house or why bugs think that this is their lake house. I don't know what it is, (laughs) but they're just hanging out here. So a Mm -hmm. big, uh, about the size of a coconut. And it was intricate and beautiful. I have a friend who has an antique store who wants it. And I said, well, I... I'll ask him, but I mean, I'm sure he's just going to hit it down. So I asked him and he said, yeah, no problem. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put all this um, substance in there. I don't know what he called it, but it's some kind of chemical. And Is he, it goo? Uh, we'll just call it goo. <laughs> I think it's a, a powdery goo. Oh, it is a powdery goo? I think so. That's so what I would use. He's like, I'm going to spray this in the little hole, which is their door. Which amazed uh-huh. Jimmy Mack. He's like, God, that thing is so cool, and they remember to build a door. I'm like, well, uh-huh. yeah, they got to get in and out. Yeah. So Gary um, was showing me what to do, and they started getting really active. So he's like, okay, step back now. And then I went in the house. I'm like, I, good luck, Godspeed, I'm out of here. And what he does is he sprays in there, and then we wait two days. Um, so he said, by tomorrow, I should be able to cut the branch down and give that nest to my friend. So he's aware of the fact that antique stores, <laughs> local antique stores, are turning a profit on these, right? Well, like he flea, knows that. flea markety type places. It's not necessarily antique. It's just like crafty flea market stuff. <laughs> And I would I have to be honest, I wouldn't know where to go if I if I wanted or needed a hornet's nest, but now I know flea markets, antique stores. I would go eBay. That's what I would look for. That would be my first jump, yeah. So he said you have to be really careful with it. Um if you try to take it down, it's uh like very like a very delicate paper mache. He goes, Remember oh. when you used to paper mache over balloons? I'm like, Oh my god, that was so fun. I share a lot of moments with Gary the Bug Guy. Yeah. yeah. And um he said you just cut the little branch that it's connected to because you want to be very gentle with it until you can shellac it. But he said, I'm warning you. 
they're going to be pretty active tomorrow because I'm spraying this powder and they're out now. And then they're going to come back and it's going to be like Jim Jones's uh, place. Oh, He's, they're going to come in. They're going to eat this stuff. So you're going to find carcasses. You're going to find honeycombs on the inside of that thing. And I'm like, yeah. that is just truly fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't want them by my front porch. I mean, no, I don't blame you. Because it, to be stung by one is a very painful thing. Oh, yeah. Or, or many of them. You could get stung by many of them. Yeah, they. everybody keeps saying these bald-headed hornets are um, very uh, aggressive. So, sure. Yeah, I don't want sure. them there. And then what's with the you, – you also have some sort of a metallic bug at the house, right? Uh, wow, you're actually looking at my Facebook page lately. I'm doing research. <laughs> I'm researching now. I hung up a clothesline. We've had a clothesline in the past, but um, it broke. And I'm like, you know, I need the clothesline. We have an old washer and dryer. It doesn't really fit the king-size comforter very well. So I'm like, I'm going to hang the comfort. I'm going to wash all the comforters. I'm going to hang them out on the clothesline. And I did just that. And it brought me back to being, um, A, my <laughs> grandmother, and, and two, a little kid. Because she used to hang everything out. And then being a little kid, when you'd get your blanket bag, or your sheets, it just smelled so good. Sure, sure, it does. But it it it's so funny because I think back, to, and it's we're only going back a generation, but it was commonplace in people's yards to hang that stuff out. But I don't think I, I can't remember the last time I saw people do that. It's been quite a while. Yeah, well, it brought me back to old times because that's what we're all doing uh, during this pandemic. We're trying to go back to nostalgia and to our childhood because it was safe then and there was no virus. So I had that. Wendy, we've put an apple pie out on our kitchen ledge (laughs) in hopes that the Cats and Jammer kids will come by and try to steal it from us. You are (laughs) such a dipsy doodle. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Joe. I'm going to go have lunch in Georgia at a dinner playhouse and let you know how things turned out. <laughs> um, where did you get that pie? From the kitchen window seal? Yep, that's where I got it. Have a slice. There always had to be a curtain blowing in the breeze, too. You right. Know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Can I tell you something else quickly that reminds me of that and then we will return to your story? Yeah. I always think about this whenever the women in our neighborhood – and. I don't mean this in any way to sound like it couldn't be something that men can do. I'm just saying anytime I ever saw this as a kid, it was two of the women who were neighbors. In the summer, they would go outside and they would talk to each other. And throughout their whole conversation, they would make a visor out of their hand. They would like put their hand up over their eyes to shield the sun away. Yeah. And their entire conversation was held. And I would always think to myself – you guys both can't be looking directly into the sun because one of you must get the side that isn't sunny, but they somehow positioned themselves so that both of them had to cover their eyes to protect themselves from the sun. Did either of them end the conversation with land ho? <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one would go, Calrissian, and only your husband would laugh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means. Lando, Lando Calrissian. Oh, oh, yeah. Lando. Oh, I get it. That's but they good. would always cover their eyes. And the other thing I remember from those conversations, because I was always close enough to overhear them, you know, to make sure that they weren't trying to f- force a, a coup in the neighborhood <laughs> and take over the neighborhood, is whenever they would talk about their children, 
they would refer to them as this one or that one. And this one thinks he can stay up until midnight. And that one thinks, you know, it was always like that. It's like, just say their names. You could say their names. Yeah, I totally remember that. can't be that bright when you forgot their names. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. What was oh, it no. you were hanging out the laundry? Bill, we got nothing but time on our hands, so don't worry. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I hung out my comforter and I, I started – Worrying about birds pooping on it. So um, mm-hmm. I, I went and checked it and everything was good. And then I flipped it over so the other side would dry. And I have to tell you, yesterday was it was in the sun. It was breezy. It was warm. It was drying like 20 minutes. It's good weather drying. Uh, it's good uh, <laughs> It's good comforter drying weather, Wendy's, what you got there. It is, Tom. Thank you. It really is. It really is. Um, and so I saw this. Pillowcases little... too or no pillowcases? No, I put those in the dryer. Yeah, all right. Because those dry so super quickly, but the comforter—they're just—I, they're—it's an old washer and dryer, so it's not really big enough for a king size. And I hate to say this because this makes me sound like a germ freak, but I guess this is the perfect time to be a germ freak. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to go to a laundromat. Mm-hmm. I've done it in the past. But you're putting your clothes where someone else's dirty clothes has been, have been. And I know it, there's detergent and it's been washed. But, right. you know, sometimes, like, if somebody pukes on something, you, you're like, I'm not going to put it in my washer. I'm going to go to the laundromat. <laughs> right, sure. So I just, I don't want to do that. All right. So that's I'm why with you. that's why I hung it on the line to dry. No room in the dryer. And uh, I see this little beetle-type bug on it. And it caught my eye because it was like this metallic green. It was yes. like my old Schwinn Continental 10-speed that I loved so much. <laughs> I saw you put a picture up on Facebook, and it was the same kind of metallic look. Some some flies have that, too. Yes. Not all flies, but it's the same metallic look. And it reminds me of my dad's old, uh, you know, the rod and reel set yeah. where it was a very metallic green or a metallic orange or something like that. That's what it looked like. See, I go Schwinn bicycle for the, yeah. uh, for the no, metallic. No, you were right, though. It, it, it's right. Um, and so I just took a picture of it because I'm like, wow, that's pretty wild. Plus, I have so many critters living around. And... Um, Everybody went nuts going, oh, my God, that's a Japanese beetle. You have to put out traps. You have to kill it. You have to get rid of it because it's going to destroy every ornamental plant in your yard. Get uh, rid of it. I'm like, I, I just flicked it off. Uh, I, don't, I didn't. Flicked it off or flipped it off? But I flipped it off first and then I flicked it off. You did both. Yeah. Good. But I, Very good. I don't. I don't. Well, I I don't know. I don't want to take the initiative. I guess I could get Gary the bug guy back. Uh, isn't it one of those things, though, that if you see one, there's probably many more around? Yeah, I guess that's what they say. Don't you imagine that to be true? Yeah. I mean, I did plant tomatoes. They are kicking ass. I am doing such a good job this year taking care of them because I got nothing else to do. Let's be honest. So I've been watering them every day, and I guess if they found their way to my tomato plants or my basil or my chive or my cilantro, um, they would eat holes in the leaves, and then I would yes. know they're there. But it's definitely a beetle. Yes. Which Did you hear it saying, peace and love, peace and love, the whole time it was <laughs> flying around? It's Ringo, <laughs> the least respected of the Japanese beetles. 
<laughs> and then, oh my God! Then last night on the, uh, I found I was moving the hose to water the um, tomatoes, and there I found this other beetle that I'm not kidding you. It was the size, you know, the quarter gumballs that were bigger yeah. than just yeah. the little ones. It was rain blow those. Yeah, but you know, yeah. it had to be like. Um, one of those gumball machines that it would go down like the little spiral. It yes. was it was a bigger ball, like almost ping pong ball size, yes. almost. Yeah. This beetle was that big. Oh man! I threw it in the neighbor's yard. Well, <laughs> I didn't know what to. I didn't want to kid it. If I killed it, like if I squished it, it would have just doused me with bug juice. It was so big. <laughs> What if you went out there the next day and there's like a chalk outline around the bug, like the way you'd see with a cadaver in a, in a TV, yeah. but it's just a bug outline. Oh, no. There's been an investigation. Investigation <laughs> and infestation. I don't know what is happening at my house. <laughs> well, when you posted this picture, it reminds me of something that I've thought my entire life, which is it's a good thing certain bugs and animals aren't 10 times the size that they are. Yes. And I know I've seen too many H.G. Wells movies over over the course of my lifetime. Do you ever see Food of the Gods where somebody invents something and once animals and bugs get at it, they grow to an enormous size? Did you ever see that movie or read that book, Food no. of the Gods? No, but I'm running it. I saw that as a – oh, it's – well, the idea of it is scarier than the movie. The, I have to say the movie version isn't great. The book is really good. But I, I, like forever I've thought about certain things, mostly bugs, but animals too, <laughs> where you go, it's a good thing they limited the size on this thing because if that thing were 10 times the size that it normally is, we'd all be in trouble. Yeah, I always think of the movie Them. I mean, it would, yeah, like, if you, the ants? Yeah, if you watch it now, you'd laugh. But I mean, really, as a kid, that scared me. Why don't they remake Them? That was a great movie. It was pretty good. My son. And what was? I can't remember what made the ants so large in that movie. Do you? Wasn't it radioactivity or something? Oh, uh, probably radioactivity. Yeah. That would just be my first guess. I pulled that yeah. one out of my ass. Yeah. Um, my son Dylan has been uh, taking this summer to watch old classic horror movies. He watches oh. he watches Fanguli every week, and <gasps> he wants the classics. And I was texting you, give me some good recommendations. He's yeah. he's watched a lot of them. Um, I didn't hear back from you, so he watched the thing, the remake though, like from the eighties. Yeah, with Kurt Russell. Yeah, he loved that. And Richard Mazur. Yeah. Oh, really? He's in that. Yeah. Anne's boyfriend yeah. in um. One day at a time. Yeah. And yeah. Romano. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, going back to our childhood. Um, yeah. And then you suggested Phantasm, which I forgot is a really, it's really scary. It's really a strange movie. Yeah. But if, if you're looking for movies of that era, that's, that's a good one. And The Mist you recommended as well. Love The Mist. I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And the backstory of The Mist is um, Frank Darabont, the director Frank Darabont, who's uh, really done some great work over the years. He was with Walking Dead in the very beginning. He was uh, he ran the show over at Walking Dead. But you would know him best for like The Green Mile and uh, a, a bunch of other Stephen King stories. He wanted so badly to make this movie in black and white, and the studio wouldn't let him because they said we would definitely lose money on a black and white movie. And in some of the DVD releases of it, they give you the option. You can watch it either in color or in black and white. I've seen it in both, 
And it's so funny because even though it's the same movie beat for beat, word for word, the feeling is so different. It's It feels like a 1950s style horror movie when you watch it in black and white. And it feels scarier and more real, of course, when you see it in color. And I shouldn't say, of course, because some movies lend themselves better to black and white. I would hate to see a colorized version of Dracula or Frankenstein or any of those classics. They belong in black and white. Yeah. But it's just interesting to see the the contrast just because there's color or lack of color. Yeah, I got I got to watch that. Yeah, you'd love it. It's really it's such a well-made movie. I will tell you this. Uh, brace yourself for the uh, the last few minutes of the movie. Just don't, brace yourself. Don't say that. Just brace yourself. I hate well, you are such a spoiler. That's all I can tell you at this time. By the way, Wendy, we've closed down our office. I I let you know a couple weeks ago that I was working on Kanye West presidential campaign. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, that has come to a halt. Oh, what what's happening? Did you know this? No. This was just announced this morning. Ten days after musician and clothing designer Kanye West tweeted that he was running in 2020, uh, the effort seems to have quietly ceased. He's out, says advisor Steve Kramer. Imagine being the advisor to Kanye West on on presidential matters. I can't even. Is that a full-time job or is that a (laughs) you don't even have to go in ever job? (laughs) I can't imagine how much advising Steve Kramer had to do in 10 days to let Kanye West know, or the other way around, that the presidential bid is is a waste of time. Uh, advisor Steve Kramer hired to get West on the ballot by gathering signatures in two key states, Florida and South Carolina, called, uh, told New York Magazine on Tuesday, I'll let you know what I know once I get all this stuff canceled. Hmm. West himself has yet to confirm or deny the report. The billionaire made global headlines when he tweeted on July the 4th that he would run for president in November. His announcement was questioned and even mocked as a publicity stunt. Did we question or mock it? I can't remember. I think we mocked. I think we did both. Yeah, you're right. Right? Uh, But the actor told Forbes days later, is Kanye West an actor? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what he's ever acted in. Uh, he's acted silly several times. He also said he was officially done with Donald Trump, of whom he has been a diehard supporter for years. Yeah, but him running would have just allowed Trump to win. Well, you know what's weird is I think realistically <laughs> I don't I don't know what impact he would have had on the election. I really don't. But I heard people on both sides say I, – I heard people on the right say this definitely hurts us and helps them. I heard people on the left say the exact same thing. But I can't imagine anybody really thinking that their vote counts saying, and Kanye West is the guy that will really – he'll listen to me. He's for me. I, there was never anybody that I talked to certainly that thought that was a good presidential choice. Yeah, but didn't some didn't Chance the Rapper or somebody um, endorse him? Didn't, didn't that come out recently? I don't know if Chance the Rapper did. He, there, there were there were a couple of names. I don't think Chance. I don't know who it was. Uh, whose name came up? Somebody, some industrialist that you wouldn't think would have sided with Kanye West was giving him their support. But I don't know. That one just seemed like a joke from the beginning to me anyway. Yeah. But that means I'm out of work again. Well, doggone it, Bill. <laughs> I'm trying to convince the weekend that he should run for president, but so far he has not returned a phone call. Well, I have some news about money. 
Can I... Please, please let it be good news, please. Well, it's um, it's it was expected. Uh, here's what's going on, and remember that I found all these uh, coins in a um, uh, White Sox bank, and we rolled them and we turned them in. Except yeah. when we got to the pennies, we didn't really want to take the time to roll them because there were fifty. It's just yeah. it, it wasn't worth. It wasn't worth the, the effort, so we just took those to Coinstar and paid our eleven percent thing. But um, it, you mentioned that there was—you've uh, seen some signs out there saying that there's a change shortage. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember all the specifics, but you know, people are a little leery of using money of, of, of change because of the potential for germs to be on it. And you know, in other countries, like in Asia, when they when they were going through COVID before we were, they were burning money. I burn money all the time. I mean, I burn through it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they were doing it in a slightly different way than you were. Um, but there were – I've seen this everywhere. It's like due to COVID, there's a coin <coughs> shortage. So either use a credit card or pay an exact change. Right. Right. And um, everybody thought this was uh, not true. That Oh, there's a national coin shortage. But the shortage was done intentionally. The Mint is no longer releasing coins into circulation. Um, at, uh, so this is looking like it's it might be the end of the penny. Um, so I'm glad I turned in my pennies. You know, they've talked about this for years, for, for years, that pennies are – you know, a thing of the past. We don't need them anymore. Just round it off to whatever the, the closest five cent mark is or 10 cent mark. Um, I'd hate to see them go away, but, but I've read in a couple of different places that because of the virus, it, 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 it just the circulation of money has been changed so dramatically. And you, what you just said proves it. Yeah. And the U S meant cut back, uh, cut back on coin production this spring to keep its workers safe. So they didn't have to work and make pennies. Meanwhile, they should have Abe Lincoln with a face mask on <laughs> the new 2020 <laughs> penny. That's, that's the official 2020 penny. All the coins, whoever's on the coin, like they'd bring back the Buffalo head nickel and the Buffalo would have a face mask on. <laughs> <laughs> Animals don't need to wear them. Come on. Um, we don't know yet, do we? So according to NPR, the economy is constipated. That's a good way of putting it. Oh, got to um, get some X-lax for this country. So the flow of coins through the economy has stopped, according to Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. Coins sit idle, uh, excuse me, coins sit idle in closed stores, cash registers, and people's homes, and they're not making it to the banks and companies that need them for business. So the wow. coin shortage uh, could be a rallying cry for a long-running movement that has lost steam in recent years. Kill the penny. Kill the penny. Is it that people always – I don't want pennies to be killed. People always say it just takes so much time to just count out those extra pennies. It does, but it doesn't. I mean isn't it part of whatever, whatever you allow in your head for a transaction to take place? You know, if, if you're going to get a, a – if you're going to get 14 cents back and it's a dime and four pennies, it's not that dramatically a different time zone to get the dime or the 14 cents, is it? I don't like pennies. Pennies are stupid, and according to this article, it, they're worthless. It costs the U.S. government two cents to produce to every penny. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, I I'll want take the, any of the ones you have and you don't want. I'll take them. 
No, we've turned them all in. We've gone through all our stash. But I'm just saying, if they're going to discontinue them, our bank's still going to take them back. Maybe if you have pennies sitting around, you should cash them in now. Right, if you have a lot of them. Have you ever seen pictures of people who will tile a room or a hallway with pennies? Yeah, that's very popular on Pinterest. Yes, (laughs) that always looks impressive to me. Yeah, but pennies Maybe always surprise my family. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Where's the super glue? And what are you doing, Dad? I'm uh, <laughs> I'm t- tiling your room in pennies. <laughs> I guess copper is kind of a you know uh, like copper gutters and roofs, but I mean copper. One sheet of shiny copper is way better than a dirty, smelly old penny. Yeah, well, that's their ad campaign. What, those words exactly. <laughs> Those exact words are their new ad campaign. Um, help me figure out where this went wrong, okay? Uh, for the last couple of days, as, as you know, there has been no baseball broadcast since last year, mm-hmm. you know, since the World Series. You can't find baseball. You can find people talking about baseball. You can find players you know, who have just you – know, they're going through spring training and they're talking about their situations and how the game is going to be different. But you can't find baseball. So last night, the Cubs ran a game – an inter-squad game, so that means Cubs against the Cubs, and they lost, by the way. Uh, <laughs> in true Cub fashion, the Cubs played the Cubs, and the Cubs lost. It was crazy. Um, so for the last couple of days, I've been looking forward to seeing this just because it's some baseball. It doesn't count. It's just practice. It's a team playing themselves. But I was going to watch this, and I've been looking forward to it for a few days. And then at some point last night, late into the night, like at 12.15 or 12.20, I realized I didn't watch it. I, didn't, I just forgot about it. I missed it. Is that on me or is that on the virus or is that on baseball? How, did, how do you go for looking forward to something for a few days to just flat out forgetting it exists? It must be um, – it has to be you, Bill, because there's really nothing but time. I know, I know. You know time is the, uh, the devil's playground, idle time. Uh, I've played in that playground before. Um, <laughs> you skinned your knee, didn't you? <laughs> yes. On the dipsy doodle. And flames came out of it, not blood. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but in this time, uh, I guess with all this idle time, you forget to do stuff. Because I've been using my phone alarm a lot more frequently. Just to remind you of anything? Yeah, like for our podcast, it goes off like at 1030 just to go, hey, you're recording today. Mm-hmm. Um, so with all this time, you kind of forget about things. So I, I think that's you. It's on you. It's got to be on me, right? Because yeah. you can't – it's not right to be looking forward to something with – and believe me, for the last few days, even though I knew the baseball game was coming, I told myself – but if you do miss it, it's not the worst thing in the world because it just it doesn't count. It'll just be nice to turn on a TV and hear the sounds of baseball or some of the sounds of baseball. You won't hear you won't hear cheering and applauding and clapping and booing and stuff. But you'll the guys will be wearing their uniforms and they'll throw ba- uh, uh, baseballs at each other and stuff. And then it just it happened without me. Hmm. I'm sorry, Bill. Nah. My you know my the th- the thing that I keep thinking is. They're talking about a 60-game season, and I can't see that happening. You know, in my head, the way it plays out is they start the season, and then more and more players come down with the virus, and then teams go, well, look, we can't subject all of our players to this thing. This is crazy. We gave it a week. It just didn't happen. It, you know, thanks for trying, but it didn't play out. I know that sounds horrible, 
But if you look at the numbers, more and more players are opting out and more and more players are testing positive. And it's 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 not a recipe for success. I'm not blaming baseball. I want there to be baseball. I, I so want there to be baseball. I just don't think it's it's safe or ready. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, Jimmy- if somebody gave you tickets right now, I know what a big White Sox fan you are. If somebody said, here's first row tickets, you're going to be at the White Sox game opening day, would you go to that? If I was the only person there. <laughs> That's your stipulation? Yeah. <laughs> what if it was you sitting between Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine? And Southpaw? Would Southpaw be there as well? Uh, Ribby and Rhubarb would be there. Yeah, I'll forget it. By the way, the first year that Ribby and Rhubarb were, were in existence, they were played by Olivia de Havilland <laughs> and Joan Fontaine. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah. It's a fun fact. Fun baseball fact. <laughs> hey, we're Midwesterners. I got to ask you a few questions that have been going around BuzzFeed. Um, these, All right. These are questions only Midwesterners can answer. Oh, so um, some I agree with and some I don't. Uh, here's one of them. Why does almost everyone from the Midwest call milk milk? I don't think that's true. I think there are a few people that say milk, but the majority of the people that I hear say the word say milk. But it, for, for the people who do pronounce it with an E sound instead of an I sound, it is mostly from the Midwest. Is it really? Yeah, it really is. And I don't know why, because it's clearly an I sound. I mean, there's no I, there's no E in milk. Right. There isn't. So I don't know. I'm not sure why. But, but for those who do mispronounce it, it does tend to be in the Midwest. All right, here's another one. Why does every town in the Midwest use the Walmart as a landmark? Like you could say, oh, yeah, I live by the Walmart, and everyone would know what you're talking about. I don't think that's true either. Uh, we do use landmarks when you're giving directions. I very rarely do say, well, now because so, of Google Maps, it's like, you know, you go to Harrison Boulevard and turn right. But before it's like you go where there's the, you know, um, Dunkin' Donuts and the Jewel and you turn uh-huh. right. So we use landmarks, but not the Walmart. I think because you live in a, a, a pretty busy suburb, and I do too, there's other things that are more probably relatable. I mean, we I live in Evanston and there isn't a Walmart here, but for a lot of – for, for much of the rural Midwest, the Walmart is the one place that if, if you live in or near the town, you definitely know where it is. Yeah, I guess. You know? All right, how about this? Why does everyone in the Midwest have a second fridge in their garage when the whole garage is a fridge for half the year? That one I don't think is common to Midwesterners over anyone else. I, I think you would find that pretty much anywhere in the United States. Don't you? Yeah. Does I, that seem like something that's that belongs to us and us alone? I don't think so. I wish I – first of all, we don't have a garage. I have a shed, oh. and there's no yeah. electricity, and there'd be bugs in my fridge in the shed anyway. Um, <laughs> Well-refrigerated bugs. Yeah, but I always want it. Like, we don't have one in the basement either, and I, I would like to have one, but I, I guess I don't want one bad enough. It's like you can go upstairs and get what you need. I don't buy in bulk that much. Right, right. When we moved into this house, my whole life we've had one refrigerator and one freezer and that's it. And when we moved in, there was space for one downstairs in the laundry room. And we decided – because there were, there were so many times where 
it was either a close call with the groceries or like if somebody would bring over like at holiday time, if somebody would bring a cake or a pie, there just flat out wasn't room in the refrigerator. So all of a sudden we had a second refrigerator and freezer, a much smaller one downstairs, but still had one. I felt like a king. (laughs) (laughs) I swear those days of seeing some groceries come in and and worrying over, I don't know if that's even going to fit in our refrigerator. All of a sudden those, those worries were alleviated. I felt amazing. (laughs) Um, All right. Here's another one. I don't understand why Midwest people pronounce caramel, caramel. Yeah. You do hear that a bit here. A caramel. Yeah. Caramel apple. I think I say caramel. The only time I say I stretch it out is if I'm talking about Mount Caramel, the high school. Then I say caramel, Mount but it, Caramel. But it isn't. That's the one where no, you'd be wrong. That's the one where it is caramel. <laughs> but we don't say caramel corn. It's always caramel corn yeah. for some reason, right? Um, here's another one. Why does everyone in the Midwest love ranch dressing so much? I mean, I like I like it too, but why us? I do not like ranch dressing. I really don't. I'm okay with it, but there are people, and again, I'm not positive that's a Midwest thing. That that seems to me to go beyond the borders of just the Midwest. There are people that just out and out love it, right? They can't get enough of it. It's fine. I'd rather have blue cheese. Like if you're doing wings, I like blue cheese better. And on a yeah. salad, I like blue cheese better. But like yeah. ranch goes on everything. You stick uh, jalapeno poppers, uh, fried cauliflower. Some people put it on pizza. Uh, that I don't understand. Is that just no, Midwest? I that. Uh, I'm not positive, but I don't know why anyone, no matter where you live, why would you do that? There's no reason for that. Yeah. Um, I'm guilty of this. Why is it every person in the Midwest is required to have at least one piece of camo apparel? What are what are all you guys hiding from? <laughs> well, that that's kind of a fashion statement that kind of goes in and out of style to some extent, but I do remember growing up there was there were certain kids that really made that a big part of their their clothing lineup. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not positive why. Um, all right, I have one more. And Do I, you have more than one article of clothing that has the camo design? I have like three pairs of pants. I have a purse. I have two or three tops. I have a jacket. I love it. I just think it's cool. Yeah. And if pressed into service, you're ready to go now. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I would be just a really bad. I would hide in a foxhole and cry. You said a camo purse, didn't you? Yeah. Do they allow those? Is that standard issue now? If you're in the, if you're <laughs> if you're fighting overseas, yeah. Don't forget your camo purse. We don't want the enemy to see you, so bring the camo purse. I have the best one to end with. What is it? And I never thought of it. And Leslie Medina put this on Twitter. Someone asked me this week why Midwest people always say "ope." O-P-E, when you bump into them, and I really wish that I knew. And I thought about it, and I do. Like, oh, oh, oh. I do say that when I bump into people. I don't say, either I say I'm sorry or oh, oh. I don't know why. So you're the person in this bump situation, you're the one who did the bumping, right? Okay. So do you say that as a way, it's, it's, it's not... 
a, a separate thing from an apology because I'm sure you then apologize, right? Yeah, but I, you know how like if you're just come, you're at an office building and there's a corner and you're staying uh, on the right side like you're supposed to be to turn the corner, but then someone else is just going to turn the corner being in the wrong lane technically, and you bump mm-hmm. into each other or um, it's so it's kind of both of your faults, right? You should just go, oh, excuse me, but I don't. I either say, oh, oh. Like that. I really do that all the time. Or I'll go, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's, yeah. But it's, I shouldn't be sorry. I should say, excuse me. And they should be saying it too, because it was like a head-on collision. Don't you think that the, the excuse me, the, the pressure of the excuse me is really on the wrong person. Like if somebody's blocking your way, let's say you want to walk, there's, there's a lane in a store, but somebody's blocking your way. You're the one who has to expel the energy and say the excuse me, when in reality it should be them who are saying, oh, excuse me, I'm in your way. It, it's The onus is on the wrong person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. More times than not. Not always, but more times than not. But you've never said ope? I don't think I have, except like if I'm trying to get Opie's attention, like if I'm in an episode of the Andy Griffith <laughs> show and I'm trying to get then I'll say it, certainly. Um, I've I've... I've been witness to it. I've heard it, but I don't think I've ever said it. Uh, I am guilty. You say that's that's a a common occurrence for you? Almost every time I run into someone. Oh, I I just, yeah, it's very Homer Simpson-esque, you know? (laughs) It is. Yes, it is. I know he's popular or he's popularized dough, but the ope seems very uh, Homer-y too. Right. Yeah, it does. Can I tell you one that I know for a fact is a very Midwestern thing and it really doesn't go beyond the states in the middle of the country? All right. All right. So if somebody is suggesting that they're going to do something and they want to know – they're looking for some sort of approval, there's a phrase that is Midwestern and it's just or no instead of or not. Like they'll say, do you want ketchup or no when it should be or not? Yeah, I, I don't say that, but yeah, I've heard it a lot. I'm going to the store. Do you want to come with me or no? It should, it should I mean, if you're, if you're speaking the Queen's English, and you know I like to do that, <laughs> it should be or not. But in the Midwest, for some reason, we've taken off the T, and it's just or no. The, the other option, it's option one or no. But you say that, don't you? Because it sounded very natural coming from you. Uh, I used to say it extremely regularly, and then... When I realize that it's kind of incorrect, I've done my best to hold back on it. But I do. I, I you hear it almost every day here somewhere. If you're if you're around people with any regularity in the Midwest, you're going to hear it quite often. Hmm. Oh, Dipsy Doodle. <laughs> <laughs> say, would you do me a favor? The next time you bump into somebody, say Dipsy Doodle instead of Oh. <laughs> Okay. And see what sort of a reaction you get from them. You're giving I'm me a- sorry. You, you not only bumped into me, but what did you say after that? I said dipsy doodle. That's what people say when they bump into people now. You're giving me Stupid a lot of COVID. missions uh, on this you know, pandemic, and I don't even go out. <laughs> What's it going to be like if things ever do get back to normal and everyone's around people again? Like we've, we've all been afforded the luxury over the last four months – to just kind of be, you know, internal and not not interact with that many people, you know. Yeah. Are th- are things and actually that's the bigger question here. 
will there be a time where things are back to normal? Everybody keeps saying, oh, yeah, just be patient. Things are going to be back to normal. But is that going to happen? I'm I'm pulling for it. I really want that to happen. I, I It has to happen. I can't think of any other thing. It has to. It has to happen. Not to be... Oh, here we go. Uh, here we go. I know. I got to be careful because I've been I've been warned by people very close to me, people who love me, to let the negative stuff go. But I did read something today where a, a scientist said, you know, it's really unfortunate that we keep hearing that we'll know more about a vaccine by the end of the year because he was talking about other vaccines. And he goes, the standard time on these vaccines is about five years, realistically. And even though they're racing like crazy we're not going to know that much by the end of the year. I don't know. They just gave, uh, they did human subjects for a vaccine and it said that it boosts your immune system and it was safe. So um, we may have something in the next couple months, but then there's going to be Wendy, a- I got to run that past Chuck Woolery and see what his thoughts are before I get too excited. Oh so my if, God. You'll just be patient. I am so pissed at myself for once liking him. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to go into great detail because it will make people angry. But Chuck Woolery has has announced to the world that everyone's lying to you. No matter who you're listening to, they are lying to you. So just know that. But then doesn't that mean Chuck Woolery is also lying to us? If he says everybody's lying to us, don't we go, well, then you, Chuck Woolery, are also lying to us. I just don't. I just everybody's got to keep their big old yap shut. That's what I think should happen. Well, I anytime there's any kind of uh, any event that's uh, affecting the world, it's normally the game show hosts that come forward at times like those and and help us through. I only listen to Wink Martindale. That is the <laughs> only guy I will listen to. So that I've seen on your car, you have one of your doors says "Think Martindale," and I never understood <laughs> it until just now. That's what that means. Is he still with us? Wink is still, yeah, Wink is still winking. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of a name is Wink? You know, it used to be, here I I go remembering uh, better times in the past than the future, but it used to be that the guys who were game show hosts were true game show hosts. That's what they did. Your Jack Nars, your Jack Berries, your Peter Marshalls, your Chuck Woolery's, your Wink Bar, those guys were dyed-in-the-wool game show hosts. But the game shows now are using people like Alec Baldwin and Ellen DeGeneres and and famous people instead of the game shows. Where are the young game show hosts of tomorrow going to come from? That is a great question and quite a dilemma, Bill. I don't know what we're going to do. By the way, Wink is short for Winston Conrad Martindale, so that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Don't you remember you and I talked to him? We interviewed him about maybe four or five years ago. I do kind of remember that. He was an incredibly nice man. Yeah. Well, think wink. That's, you know. Think wink. That's my slogan. <laughs> he was, of all the guests we've had named Wink, he was the winkiest, I felt. <laughs> I wouldn't tell him that because he would deck me through, <laughs> through the text. He would text deck me. No. Uh, who did um, Joker's Wild? He's the guy that would deck you because he had the cards. Who was that? Kennedy? Ta- uh, Jack Kennedy? Bill Cullen? Oh, he did that? Oh, was it... I think Bill Cullen did. Bill Cullen did almost every game show at some point. They'd bring in Bill Cullen. And then sometimes he was a guest on other game shows, which made me say, whoever books this game show did not do their job this week. Yeah. 
What What was the game show that had? It was a Kennedy. I'm pretty sure, not like a president. Tom Kennedy. It was like something with three cars or something. Split set. Well, yeah. Uh, Tom Kennedy. The best one he did was Split Second. Okay. And what else did he do with it? He did do something with three cards, didn't he? Three cars, like shiny oh, cars. Oh, that was – no, that was uh, split second. Oh, okay. And actually it was five cars at the beginning. Oh, God, of be course. You know every times. detail. And Jeez. then if you won that day, you got the keys and you went to one of the cars and then you turned it in the ignition. And if it started up, it was yours. And if not, you got to come back a second day and they would eliminate one car per day. So you were down to just one if you if you went on all five days. That was a great show. I, I that enjoyed was a great watching show. it. Yeah. We should bring and that he, back. Uh, split second? I would watch that in a split second. He was the brother of Jack Nars who did Beat the Clock. Oh, I liked that show too. Yeah, that was pretty good. That Beat the Clock was a show that was on in the 50s originally. I think on the radio first and then on TV. And then uh, we saw it in its second incarnation. Well, second was the best. But imagine being brothers and you're both game show hosts. And then you have a feud and a falling out like (laughs) Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine. Do you remember the night that they did – it was a show called Celebrity Chicken Fights and it was Tom Kennedy and Jack Nars against Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine. (laughs) (laughs) And they they went all three rounds. And then Joan Fontaine did something illegal to win. I, rem- I can't remember what she did, but it was crazy. She plotted to kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's when TV was TV, Wendy. That's when the- that was the golden age of television. I, I agree. Miss it so much. I miss it so much. All right. We have come to the end of another podcast. This is episode number 56 if you're keeping score. Uh, and turn your scorecards in at the end of the evening. You could win a valuable prize. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again uh, next week. Wendy, have a great week. I'll talk to you in a few days. Oh, okay. (laughs) See you, Bill. Bye.